compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Well, I dare you to find a better show than the Patrick Madrid Show, Andy. I miss that guy. I'm glad he was able to say that about the show before he left us. <laughs> yeah, that was very cool of him. I'm looking at um I'm looking at line one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um I don't know. I'm gonna flip a coin on this one. Okay. Heads it is. All right, ready, steady, go. Ready, steady, go. I don't know what's gonna happen. We'll see. Brian in Michigan, welcome to the program, sir. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, yeah, so I had a, I have a colleague who's pregnant, and she brought up the topic of um, consuming your placenta. I don't want to hear this. After, yeah, I know. I know. I'm right there with you. Um, <laughs> I hope I don't regret the coin toss, but go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. <laughs> consuming her placenta after, you know, she has the baby and everything like that. Um she was asking me the church's opinion on it, and I, I honestly had n- no idea what to say, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wanted to get your insight on it. Apparently it has medicinal purposes, she was saying, and, you know, she said animals eat their own afterbirth, so that's like, you know, some evidence that that's a normal thing to do, and, yeah, I wasn't mm-hmm. sure where to go with it. Um, nor am I. So I'll offer a few thoughts that come to my mind, Brian. I've never been asked this question before. Honestly, I've never, never been asked. So let's step back and consider that, that byproducts of the body, breast milk, for example, blood, for example, bone marrow, for example, the church says that it is licit to make use of these bodily byproducts for specific purposes, you know, for medical therapy, to feed a baby with breast milk. Um, so as a general rule, the way God designed our bodies is that, yes, we can, and under some circumstances, we would even be obliged to make use of these byproducts for health. But typically it's for the health of somebody else breast milk for baby, blood transfusions for somebody else. But of course you could you could give blood and have your own blood stored in that way. If you went in for surgery or something and you needed blood, you could get your own blood, which I think would be obviously a better um, thing to do if you can. Most people I suppose can't do that. But I mean, those things come to my mind if I want to think about this question about the placenta. So the first thing I'll posit is that in situations like that, there is no moral problem with consuming bodily byproducts like those things. Now, the, the what's the word I'm looking for? The validity, the medical recognition, if there is any, that a woman eating her placenta is in any way realistically, legitimately, verifiably helping her own health, to me seems very dubious. So even though I don't think it would be condemned, and I am not aware of the church ever speaking to this issue, but you know, a place where you could find out if ever there were something that rose to that level, even in just a minor way, would be the National Catholic Bioethics Center, ncbcenter.org is their website, ncbcenter.org. Um, for many years, I subscribed to their quarterly journal. I don't remember this topic ever being treated in the journal, 
But maybe it was at some point. And if there is a journal article on this topic, they'll have it. And you can read it and it'll give you some more specificity. So I'm going to say, based upon what I think I know about this, that it would not be immoral in itself, but it would it may well be unnecessary and eccentric and strange to do that. So that's, I think, probably the best answer I can give you. Um, I'm reminded, well, I won't even bring that up. There was a Saturday Night Live skit back in the 70s that suddenly comes to my mind, but I won't mention what it is. It has to do with placenta, but we'll leave it at that. So I think it's odd and weird and probably unnecessary and therefore to be avoided, but not for a moral reason that I can see, because I don't think it would rise to the level of something like, say, cannibalism. Um, it's just something strange, or so it seems to me. So those are my thoughts off the cuff, Brian. Any thoughts of your own? Yeah, no, that's that's kind of the thoughts I had as well. Um, yeah, I, and I actually did do a little research, you know, before I called you to see if there's any Catholic, you know, position on this or anything, and I found absolutely nothing. So, um, so yeah, I'm glad I called, and I think we're we're on the same page as far as thinking about it. Um, but yeah, I wanted to get your insight so I could mm -hmm. give her a give her a thorough answer. So, yeah, and I, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and probably get in trouble with some of the the women listening to the program, maybe not many of them though. Um, I have always been opposed to the idea of preferring a home birth to a birth in a hospital. Now I know some ladies might get up in arms on this issue, but just as I, I'm offering this to you, Brian, as kind of a, here's where I'm coming from on things like this. It's not that you mm -hmm. can't give birth at home and countless, I mean, all of human mm -hmm. history births have been at home and that's just how it is because hospitals are the way we know them today typically were, were unavailable. They didn't exist or the average person couldn't go to it. So only until very recently in human history has the, even the idea of giving birth to a baby in a hospital been a thing. But all of that notwithstanding, when our first son was born, this was uh, November of 1981, and we were at the hospital. It was our first baby, and... There, as I recall, there were two delivery rooms side by side in this hospital. Our son's being born in one. And next door, the baby that was being born simultaneously, he, it turns out, when he exited the birth canal, they discovered, well, they didn't know this beforehand. I don't know why they didn't know it, but they didn't know it. All of his internal organs were outside of his abdomen. They were not inside where they're supposed to be. They were outside. And so this is a dire situation. So they they called a... Um, a lifelight helicopter, and they lifelighted this baby to Loma Linda Hospital. And as I understand, I think the baby was saved, but just barely saved. And that really shook me because I thought to myself, they didn't know before this baby was born that that kind of severe distress would take place. And if they hadn't, if they hadn't been at a hospital, if the doctors weren't there, if the ability to move this child quickly to a, a bigger hospital where they could take care of this, that child would have died then and there. So mm -hmm. that that shaped my attitude on this. And that's why throughout the years, I've always, you know, I don't look down on anybody who has a home birth, but I think, why? You know, why not have a baby at a hospital where there are medical people 
and equipment just in case there's a problem. Now, I know there are plenty of women and others who would say, that's ridiculous. You can have a home birth and the doula will help you and everything's safe and the statistics and all that. But still, I would say, why take a chance? So for right. that reason, it's not the same as this placenta issue, but I would say, why do that? Take yeah. some multivitamins, you know? Right, that, that, was, that was my thought, yeah, because apparently what they do is you take this placenta, you send it out to some company, and they, like, cook it or something and then put yeah. it in capsular form and send it back to you. Yeah. And that was my thought, too. I'm like, well, just figure out what vitamins are in this placenta, and then, you know, you can just consume those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm squeamish about the topic. So... Well, I, I'm not aware, just to recap, I'm not aware that the church, yeah. I can't think about a moral principle that this would violate, yeah. but still, yeah. why? <laughs> why do that? Right. So, right. All anyway. right. Well, thanks for letting me, uh, thanks for letting me pick your brain on that, Patrick. Oh, you're welcome for what it's worth. National Catholic Bioethics Center, their website is ncbcenter.org. If you or anyone listening wants to see, is there something that was written by a Catholic bioethicist or by a medical doctor or a theologian on this issue? If anyone has it, if anyone's written on it, they'll have it, ncbcenter.org. Thank you, Brian. Let's go to Tony in Murrieta, California. Hi, Tony. Hi, Patrick. Hey, my question is, I know we say as Catholics that the Church is the apostolic Church, Mm-hmm. And I firmly believe that, but I'm in a couple of conversations with a few different Protestants, and I say that, and they can say, well, that's great that you say that, but prove it to me. Is there any historical list that we can show them that really puts the data, like, right in front of their face? Um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, St. Irenaeus is an example of somebody who comes to mind, and he he wrote a book called Against Heresies. And this would have been in, when was this? This was in the 200s, so close to the time of the Apostles, very close, in fact. There were still people alive, I should think, who might be very old, who might have seen or or known some of the Apostles. But in any case, in his book, Against Heresies, he makes this very claim by saying it would be too tedious, it would be too voluminous and difficult to to write down for you here all of the different succession of bishops in all the various churches. It would just, it would be, it would take too much time. But we don't have to do that because all we have to do is to show the succession of the bishops of Rome. That's the church that was organized and founded by St. Saints Peter and Paul. And he says, all we need to do to prove apostolic succession of the Catholic Church to the time of the apostles is let's look at the pedigree of all the different bishops of Rome from that point. So he was writing this as an apologetics response in the 200s. And that, I would say, can be coupled with the extant lists of all the popes. We know their names in the early century, in the early um, years, we know generally when they were pope. We know their names. We know generally how they died. Um, we don't know everything about each one of them, but we have a, a list, and we know who they were. And they were the bishops of Rome. They were the bishops of the Catholic Church in Rome. They called themselves Catholic, etc. So the historical evidence, even just pointing to those two things, 
I think would be enough to demonstrate. Because how is the Protestant going to explain that away? How is he going to explain that, you know, St. Irenaeus and against heresies, if he didn't mean the Catholic Church and, and the, bish the bishops of Rome and apostolic succession, all of which he talks about, then what is he talking about? True. You know, he's certainly not talking about good book Baptist. He's not talking about, you know, the church of what's happening now. He's not talking about Calvary Chapel. He's certainly not talking about Calvinism or Mormonism. He's talking about the Catholic Church. So the, the thing I'm saying here is that those are two examples that just come to mind off the top without even looking at them. Those are things you could turn to and say, well, take a look at this. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with Against Heresies, but I was not familiar with that tidbit saying, you know, pretty much just that, that it's too tedious, but we can show the Pope is who the, the is who we say he is, and therefore the Catholic Church is the Catholic Church. So that's right. very good. Thank you. Let me read to you. I, I was, as you were talking, I was opening to that <clears throat> section. This is in Book 3, Chapter 3 of Against Heresies, and I'll just read it to you. Since, however... It would be very tedious in such a volume as this to reckon up the successions of all the churches. We do put to confusion all those who, in whatever manner, whether by an evil self-pleasing, by vainglory, or by blindness and perverse opinion, assemble in unauthorized meetings, in, a, in unauthorized meetings. Uh, we do this by indicating that tradition derived from the apostles of the very great and very ancient and universally known church founded and organized at Rome— by the two most glorious apostles, Peter and Paul, as also the faith preached to men, which comes down to our time by means of the successions of the bishops. He's referring to the bishops of Rome. For it is a matter of necessity that every church should agree with this church on account of its preeminent authority, asserting the preeminent authority of the church at Rome, and specifically the bishop of Rome. And then he goes on and he gives a list of that. He says, the blessed apostles then having founded and built up the church, committed into the hands of Linus the office of the episcopate. In other words, he's saying he became the bishop of Rome. Of this Linus, Paul makes mention in the epistles to Timothy. To him succeeded Anacletus, and after him, in the third place from the apostles, Clement was allotted the bishopric. This man, as he had seen the blessed apostles and had been conversant with them, might be said to have the preaching of the apostles still echoing in his ears and their traditions before his eyes. Nor was he alone in this, for there were many still remaining who had received instructions from the apostles. In the time of this Clement, no small dissension having occurred among the brethren at Corinth, the church in Rome dispatched a most powerful letter to the Corinthians, exhorting them to peace, renewing their faith and declaring the tradition which had, it had lately received from the apostles proclaiming the one God omnipotent, the maker of heaven and earth. And he goes on, etc., etc. He says, uh, we may also understand the apostolic tradition of the church, since this epistle, he's referring to the epistle of Clement to the Corinthians, this epistle is of older date than these men who are now propagating falsehood and who conjecture into existence another God beyond the Creator, and on and on and on. So then, from then he continues listing the different bishops of Rome. Uh, Hyginus, Pius, Anicetus, Soter, um, Eleutherius. He goes to 12 different successors of St. Peter by name, and he points out, you know, this is more than enough <laughs> to demonstrate 
the Catholicity yes. of the early church. And that's the claim he's making, and there's no reason for me to even restate it because he does it so well. That's very good information. And you said that was chapter three of Against Heresies? Yeah, chapter three, book three. Okay, great, great. Yeah, but I mean, I had it backward. Book three, chapter three, yeah. And chapters sometimes are just paragraphs. You know, sometimes it's just one long paragraph. They call that a chapter. But when you look it up, look up Against Heresies, book three, chapter three, and it's all right there. Awesome. Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Great chatting. Love this stuff. Anyway, why don't we take a break? And uh, yes, Cyrus, you did discover that Saturday Night Live skit that shall go unmentioned. I did, I did find it. <laughs> We're not playing that. No, no. In fact, Glenn, <laughs> Glenn uh, from Morning Air texted me and he said that it actually never aired. I saw it. You saw it. Okay. Well, I saw it. Um, maybe I didn't see it on TV. Maybe I only saw it once it came out on video. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, didn't, I don't want to see it again. Deep. Yeah, that's enough. That's enough. Yeah. That. Gilda Radner, as I recall, is in that. Or maybe it was um, yeah, Jane was Curtin. Fine. I forget which. But we'll leave that um, as it is, unmentioned. And we'll take a break. 888-914-9149. That number is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. 888-914-9149. I'll be right back. Join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Czestochowa, and the infant child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at relevantradio.com slash Poland. That's relevantradio.com slash Poland. Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Patrick a call. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid on Relevant Radio. Yeah, I like this. There's a song from the 70s. Na, 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 na. Remember that song? Yeah. This kind of sounds like that. Yeah, the very beginning did. We, we Good play, vibes. We play a game during the breaks where I play one second of a song, and then yeah. Patrick guesses the song, and he's right... Probably 98% of the time. It's fun. I you enjoy are, that. You are good at that game. Hey, what's for lunch today? <laughs> we have lots of great callers, Patrick. I <laughs> uh, wonder what's on the menu today. Uh, 888-914-9149. How about John now in Mentor, Ohio? Good morning, John. Hi. Uh, listen to your uh, Bread of Life discourse yesterday. I agree with it 100%. And mm-hmm. then you're talking to a woman about that's been divorced and never been allowed to have communion. Then I think of Jesus at the well. He went there to find a woman who was divorced seven times and said, you want to come into communion with me? All you have to do is ask. Why does the men in our church change things that are in Scripture? seems to me every time that happens, not only do people become Protestant, but they leave our church. Hmm. What did I change? What is it that, um, what did well, I do? No, you didn't, you didn't change it. You just put things the way they are. Bread of life mm-hmm. discourse. It is what it is. You can't be part mm-hmm. of me unless you eat my body. So, you know, and then telling the woman you, you can't have communion because you were divorced and see Jesus at the well saying, you were divorced seven times. I sought you out. Just ask and you can come into communion with me. And then the men in our church say you can't. 
I see. What's I misunderstood your question. Okay, I think I understand. Well, going back to the lady who called yesterday, she, as you may remember, was anxious to be able to receive communion. She was beside herself. She was crying. And maybe I was clumsy in how I explained it, but what I was pointing to her, pointing out to her, John, was that she could receive communion. And the way to do it was to, because she didn't have a declaration of nullity from her first marriage, the church presumes it's valid. And Jesus himself said that. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And Jesus repeatedly says that if a man divorces his wife, or in the case of a woman, if a woman divorces her husband and remarries, she commits adultery. So Jesus is specific about divorce and remarriage entailing adultery, and adultery is something that we're not supposed to do. So in the case of the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus says, you know, where is your husband? And she says, my husband is not here. And he says, yes, this is the seventh man you're living with, and he is not your husband. So it's not even clear whether there was a divorce, but she was just living with different men. Now, the Lord didn't say, you know what, that's okay. You know, you can, you can do, you can receive communion. Of course, it had nothing to do with communion per se. Um, But I would argue that in the same way that Jesus, in the case of the woman taken in adultery, she was committing adultery. And he forgives her, and he lets her go without, of course, paying the penalty of the Mosaic Covenant's decree of stoning to death. But what does he say to her? He says, go and sin no more. So there's always the component that we can't lose sight of, John, that if you're living in a state of objective sin, then you have to stop doing the sin, but the Lord will always welcome you back, and you can always come home, and you can always be forgiven, and you can always be restored, and you can always receive Jesus in Holy Communion if you're willing to let go of what's preventing you from being able to do that. That's part of the story as well. So I'm not quite sure, maybe you can elucidate this for me, I'm not sure what you mean about men always do this, we're talking about Jesus and what he said and what he taught and why it's important to to focus on that. So maybe I'm just not catching quite the point you're making, but yesterday I showed the woman who called how she could receive communion. You know well, what I mean? Yeah, yes, but you're exactly right about all of that, what Jesus said. But mm-hmm. what do you, I mean, that's what we call that confession. It's right. in no more. And he asked her to come in, what else can we call it, but to communion with him, living water back then. He sought out the mm-hmm. woman that was doing all this. We tell, how many people in our church can't have communion? Because well, I don't know. Policy was instated by men. A lot. I, every family out there has somebody they know in their family or friend that, that said they weren't allowed to go mm-hmm. to communion because they've had divorce. And, you know, Jesus well, says, it's not, a, not divorce per se. It's divorce and remarriage. Remember what Jesus said. He said it repeatedly. If a man divorces his wife and remarries, he commits adultery. So I don't I don't see how you can get around that. If you're in the state of right. adultery, then you shouldn't receive communion, right? You should go to confession it, first, right? Right. Isn't confession enough at that point? All you have to do is ask is what Jesus Unless <laughs> well, yeah. Well let's okay, let's just say that you're living in an adulterous relationship and you go to confession, but you have no plans to leave your adulterous relationship. And you're going to go back to that woman again tonight and commit adultery again. 
going to confession doesn't mean that you're prepared to receive communion if you have no intention of changing, if you have no intention of relinquishing the sin. I think that may be the missing piece here. Yeah. Okay, so there's no way out of the original marriage to have another marriage. I didn't say that. More or less. Well, no, no, that's more or less what it comes down to. You're in a new marriage, you're in adultery. Okay, I'll say it again. Jesus said, if a man divorces his wife and remarries, he commits adultery. Okay. So I don't know if your argument is really with Jesus. It sounds like it's really with him. Because well, for the ch- I guess that that's true. You're right. Okay. I, maybe I missed that fine point on it, but I see so many sad people that know they're in a new marriage and the first one just didn't work out. And if they can't get that annulment, which sometimes they can't, mm-hmm. they just can never have communion again. And then uh, Jesus says, if you don't have communion, you have no life within you and you can't come, you know, to heaven. They have right. to think that the rest of their life. So how do they get out of that if they can't get an annulment? That's a good question. And I, I did respond to that question yesterday when that lady called. So I'll just advert to it again. You can okay. go to communion. So let's say in the case of that second marriage, if you live as brother and sister, in other words, you don't do what married people do because you're not okay. actually married in the eyes of God. So in a situation like that, it may be impossible because there are children now um, or right. you know, some other extenuating circumstances where they can't, quote unquote, split up and live in separate houses. Sometimes that's possible, but not always. So in a case like that, if the wife and the husband agree, we want to put God first, we want to be in the, in the truth and not living a lie, we're going to live as brother and sister. And that's what I was pointing out to her, is that if, if they did that and she went and made a good confession, she could go to Holy Communion every day for the rest of her life. So there is a path forward. It's They're not stuck. Okay, but that seems to, man, to today's world almost impossible. But I... I'm a Catholic and learning. By the time I'm 80 here, I'll probably understand more of it. <laughs> <laughs> you just described both of us. We're both learning, um, and I, I understand. But I wouldn't want you to feel as though the Catholic Church says, sorry, you know, no hope for you. You're stuck, and there's no way out of that. But there is a way out of it. And sometimes letting go of a very enjoyable sin is the hardest thing to do where people are torn and they say, yeah, but I really like this. I really enjoy this. And Jesus says, well, if you wish to be my disciple, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Those are things that are part of this bigger picture, I think. Okay. It sounds good. I appreciate your explanations. You got it, John. You got it. Thank you for listening. Appreciate that. 888-914-9149. Go to Dr. John now in Orlando. Good morning, Dr. John. Hey, Patrick. We met some time ago at a a JMJ uh, event. I'm a a medical director for Pregnancy Resources Center. I've been doing OB for a long time. Did I speak at that event? Was that like a pro-life gala? Yeah, it was one of the last times you did speak in public. As yeah, I that's right. I don't know if I remember meeting you, but I do remember that event. So welcome. Yeah, it was, it was at a taco's place. But anyway, <laughs> first met at the taco place. But no, I and also, by the way, I just met a woman from my church at our bank, and I said, I'd like to know your husband's name. And she said, well, he's not my husband, but that's like the other issue. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, it's this, but I'm going to the beginning of life stuff. Um, you know, I had delivered babies for about 25 years, and of course, I still do a lot of work with newborns and some fertility care, thanks mm-hmm. to NAPRO technology and all that good stuff. But there are more women than ever now 
looking to deliver their babies outside of hospitals. Of course, you know, the COVID craze has changed a lot of people's mm-hmm. perceptions about hospitals when men couldn't even come in and be with their wives and family members. It was actually handled horrifically by the hospitals, um, almost, almost universally. But that said, uh, I've seen way too many interventions in hospitals in 35 years of doing medicine. So I've even, I have a meeting coming up with our local OB doctors in our community to explain why women are looking to midwives either in birthing centers or homes. And just to get back to your scenario where that baby was born with what's known as gastroschisis, gastroschisis like spina bifida and encephaly, those are all things detected, thankfully, now by ultrasound long before the delivery. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are a number of women who should be in a hospital setting to have their babies, you know, their third C-section or whatever, but um, mm-hmm. or preeclampsia. But honestly, my own grandson delivered in our home was supposed to be delivered in a birthing center in town. My daughter said, do I really have to go? Well, the two midwives came to her. He was just short of nine pounds, first baby. I won't tell you, I wasn't stressed during the delivery, having delivered babies in the hospitals and just watching mm-hmm. midwives do their thing. I was utterly impressed. And, um, and again, honestly, Patrick, I think it comes down to sort of a natural law, almost conversation, because really what's happened in modern medicine is we have intervened way too much in what should be a natural process of birthing. And for that very reason, I think more, more and more women are leaving the interventionist hospital environment and going elsewhere. I will defer uh, to your medical expertise. You have it and I don't. So I, I want to put my cards on the table. I don't pretend to have specialized knowledge the kind that you have. But I'm not persuaded by this argument, Dr. John, with all due respect, I'm not persuaded by it. Because even though, you know, sure, is it possible to get a staph infection at a hospital? Yes. Is it possible that the doctor could be overzealous or, or you know, suggest a procedure that's unnecessary? Yes. I don't doubt any of those things. But on, the, on balance, if, you know, in all 11 of our babies being born, we had a choice between home births and it was sort of fashionable. It became sort of fashionable. And, and many of the, well, maybe not many, but some of the women that we knew who were having babies at around the same time chose a home birth. Now, I'm not against a home birth, but what I'm saying is if I have the option to have the baby in the hospital, that's my, cho- that's my first choice. If you can't, then you can't. And there's nothing wrong with it. But my preference would always be to have the medical science there, the expertise, someone like you who knows what he's doing, um, some emergency comes up, an umbilical cord gets wrapped around a neck or a breech position or something like that. Um, I would rather be in the safety of a hospital than in the master bedroom in my home. And and I will not be shaken from that view. I really do believe that it's if you can have it, it's better. So I'm not denying the points that you're making. I'm just saying, to me, that doesn't persuade me to choose a home birth and our, our days of birth are over. You know, our kids are all grown up now. But um, for me, well, I, can tell you, I, can I feel tell you strongly that, about that. Because I got the experience of being the only doctor in the county in rural Montana after I got out of the Army. And um, the, only bo- the only baby that I could not deliver normally, vaginally, we had to get in the ambulance and go to the next county. And another family physician uh, did the C-section with me. But the point being that even in the most emergency situations, you're typically no more than 10, 20 minutes from a hospital, which is about the time in the hospital that things would happen. So, yeah, I, but then there are people, of course, who live in places where still, and you know, they don't have the access to it's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting concept, but I, I can tell you, you're, 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 many of your listeners I know are, are homeschooling and home birthing. <laughs> or, I know. Oh, I know. And then they homeschooling. 
You know? I know it's, it is a very, I don't want to say fashionable because that sounds like I'm putting people down. I don't mean to put people down. I'm just saying it's a very popular thing now and I'm aware of it. And I, you know, I don't look down on anybody, but that experience with the, and you, you gave the medical term for it where the organs are on the outside of the abdomen. What's the term for that again? Yeah. Ga- gastroschisis. Okay. Yeah. That, the stomach is, is literally outside the body. Yeah. And any intestines, other things. Yeah. That's scary. That, that should be picked up in utero by an ultrasound way before the delivery. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so glad we have modern science now. In, in 1981, I don't know if you're practicing medicine then or not, but I'm guessing that we didn't have as many of those kind of prenatal tools to see if something like that, because they were taken back. In fact, the doctor. I forget now if it was the delivery, the doctor delivering our baby. He was called into that other delivery room. Like all of a sudden, he, they, we need you in here right now because we got this situation. And it really made an impression on me, a, a, a negative impression, you know, that, oh my gosh, well, what if, what if somebody's having the baby in the master bedroom at home and something like that happens? Oh my gosh, the thought of losing a child, just, it, it just, really made me feel the way I do. So it's my opinion based on that. But um, I'm glad you called in. I'm glad you're raising the other side of the story. Thank you, Patrick. We can talk some more and God bless you for the. I love the fact that you handle so many topics in the morning. So keep it up and keep smiling. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, thank you, Dr. John. Hope we have a purpose-driven taco again one of these days. Thanks for that. You know what? The clock says we're at break time. So let's just do that. We'll step aside briefly. And uh, Cyrus, an email came in to you a moment ago. Do you want to read that or no? <laughs> I don't want to revisit this topic anymore yeah. is what I, I don't want to do. I think Dan in Albuquerque would like it <laughs> well, to. Well, I'll just say, Dan, you're not wrong. You're, you're not wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll be between us then. Dan in Albuquerque. The email you sent to Cyrus, um, we all know what you meant. Thank you. We're going to take a break. This is the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And no, I'm not negative. I'm not judging you if you had a home birth. I'm not looking down on anybody. I'm just saying I'd rather have my wife have a baby in the hospital. But that's just me. This hour sponsored by Christendom College. Send your child to Christendom College's high school summer program, The Best Week Ever. Use promo code RELEVANTRADIO and get 50% off. Spots fill up very quickly, so apply today at thebestweekever.com. That's thebestweekever.com. Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Patrick a call. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid on Relevant Radio. All right, back to the phones. Actually, no, Cyrus, you said you had a little audio you wanted to play. Yeah, yeah, so we're talking about home births versus hospital births. And it reminded me of an old Patton Oswalt skit. Um, And so I don't... Patton Oswalt, he's a stand-up com- comic, right. and now he's in he's in TV shows and movies. And um, oh, I've heard of him. Yeah, I I used to like him a, a lot more. Um, unfortunately, he has some stances on abortion that I don't agree with, and I've I've moved away from his comedy. 
But that but this is something early on. This doesn't make this little bit any less funny. All right, and let's so hear. this is this is about home births. If one more of my Whole Foods friends tells me that I have to have a home birth, I am gonna punch all the soy on the planet. I am so sick of these man. Hey dude. Listen, Patton, I know that you're probably going to go to a hospital, but you got to think it through, man. You got to do it at home, naturally. That's the only way. That's the way the pioneers and the settlers did it, man. That's how you should do it. Yeah, the pioneers and the settlers. That's what I'm going to emulate. You know what the, you know what the pioneer women having their babies out in a little cabin that they built out of bison poop and then whatever... <laughs> Wood was what? left over from when the stagecoach went in the gully. You know what they were dreaming about when they were having their babies out there? Hospitals! They dreamed about hospitals! Weird, fantastical future buildings full of clean white sheets and doctors with needles full of magic liquid that made the pain not happen ever! So that's, that's the gist of it. <laughs> I can't say that I disagree with him on that. <laughs> right. Uh, the bison stuff notwithstanding. Yeah, sorry, um, sorry about that. I forgot about that line. <laughs> All right. So um, to that point, I got, a, by the way, an avalanche of emails, all of them from women, by the way, about the placenta thing. Apparently that really is more of an issue than I thought. Liz, though, she wrote in a moment ago, and she says, I have a great hospital where I live and I've given birth there, but I've heard so many horror stories about women giving birth in hospitals that don't respect the mother and do unnecessary and risky things for the mother and baby. That's why people take the chance. Both have risks and benefits. Well, fair enough, Liz. Um, I'm, I'm risk avoidance kind of guy. So for me, it just seems like the hospital is the better way to go, but that's just me. And I know there are people who... Want to have their babies at home? Okay, fair enough. Uh, Margaret, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, Cyrus, there must be at least 15, maybe 16 emails about placenta. Never <laughs> yeah, thought I'd ever yeah, do a I've segment seen, like I've this. I've seen a couple come in. Yeah. Oh, they're sending them to you too. Yeah. <laughs> Veronica. Yeah, hit me with your best shot with one of those. Uh, Veronica in Albuquerque. Um, she says, Patrick, two questions. One, I was listening to the, about the eating of the placenta after the baby is born. Personally, I think it sounds horrible. That's all in caps. Um, she says, I was involved with something similar, but not as gross with my granddaughter's placenta. My daughter asked me to take it and bury it in the backyard. And then she goes on to describe it in a rose bush. I mean, I've, I don't I've know. Heard, I've heard of this. This is. I don't know. Yeah. This isn't an isolated. Know. I've, I've heard this story. This okay. Is, you travel in different circles than I do. I, I live a sheltered <laughs> right. life, I guess. So she says, I think it was superstitious. There are cultures who do bury the placenta. These practices of eating or burying placentas might even go into occult territory. I don't know. That I don't know anything about. Um, so anyway, the, yeah. I don't know what to make of that. Well, there's some listeners like Mac who are saying you have spent enough time on this topic, so please, please move along. Well, you know what's interesting? Check it out, Mac. All the emails rolling in. There's another one. This, I mean, this one just came in. Margaret, listening on the Relevant Radio app. I actually knew of a fellow high school acquaintance 
who ingested her placenta, it was part of some kind of Esalen medical treatment or Eastern medical treatment. Not sure if it's demonic, but what I recall is that it might help. Yeah, I, I don't know. Thanks for all you do. Um, Margaret says, thank you, Margaret. Um, a note from Elizabeth, a lengthy and very thoughtful email about um, the whole placenta thing. Thank you, Elizabeth, for that one. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't read all of these, but apparently there are a lot of people for whom this is a big a big deal. So anyway, there we go. 888-914-9149. Any more placenta material you want to roll out, Cyrus? <laughs> no, as long as we're at no, this. Let's, I, I think it is time to move. Move along. There's a town in Southern California called Placentia, and it's right by Yorba Linda, right off the 55 freeway. And um, I remember as a kid growing up, I before I really read it carefully, I thought it said Placenta. And one day, as I recall, we were in the car, and I mentioned, oh, there's the city of Placenta. And I think my mom said, it's Placentia. It's different. It's not a placenta. And I didn't even know what a placenta was at that time. Um, now, we have some audio I would like to play before we continue. This is about a, let's set it up here. So this takes place in Australia. You have this one handy, Cyrus? Yes. Yeah. So this takes place in Australia, and there is a sign on the door of a family. It looks like it's a suburban home. And they are uh, just, you know, regular Australian folk. And they, ha- they put up a sign on their house that says this, you know, we acknowledge that this land upon which this house stands belongs to the traditional owners. The Wurundjeri, I believe is the pronunciation for this uh, indigenous people. And so they're like super proud of themselves. They're these, you know, white middle class Australian people. And they're showing how forward thinking they are. And they're announcing with this sign on the front of their house, which you can see from the street, you know, we acknowledge that this land and this, you know, the land that this house is built on really belongs to these people from this indigenous group. And a group of these people with their faces painted in the traditional style, they show up at the door and this is what happens. Hello. Hello. We've seen your little yeah. clock here on the wall. We're the Wurundjeri people. Yeah. 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 We've come here, we've seen the sign. All right. We're a bit, I haven't got anyone to stay, so let's take So, pause it for a second. I want to set up just a bit. So, the lady, you know, the wife, she answers the door. I think her husband's standing next to her. And there's this group of half a dozen of these native peoples who are wearing their, their um, traditional dress. The faces are painted. Uh, brown skin, um, so you can tell that they're clearly from that group. And they're there at the door, and they're pointing to the sign, which is like right there next to the door, saying, well, your sign says that this place really belongs to us, so we're here. And listen to the reaction of the wife and the husband as they're they're being taken at their word now by this group of people. We saw your sign there and we thought, oh, yeah. I don't know about that. Like, no, just us. No, we won't, we won't be in much trouble. How did you know about that? With a sign. We saw that sign there. We wouldn't what? ask only for the sign. Oh, yeah, it's a sign. It's a sign there, sir. So. I don't know who put it up there, so. Oh, well, we'll just leave it in the, in the back yeah. of the house. Yeah, we'll cook up a feed. Yeah, there's some local rabbits we can hunt down and grab, cook it up. Yeah. 
Yeah. If you like rabbit, we can share oh, them. Yeah. Yeah, get some wheat and grub for it. We don't want to at the moment. That's, yeah. that's the problem. With the way, we'll have a big crumbery. We'll so set up and we'll sing. I just don't know what to do. Oh, we could just yeah, set a fire. Why weren't they getting their land back? I didn't understand. This so wasn't going as well as I expected. We've got a dot painting here if you want one to hang up. A what? A dot painting? Yeah, we've got some patents for it. Yeah. We can give it. We can come get some more. You need to see Maybe it's not translating as well. Yeah, I like the end. The end there. They're so nice. They're still like, well, would you like to come and have some? I don't know about you staying, but you can come in and have some tea, and then leave. Yeah, they're saying basically, well, since you've said this is ours, we're we're here. We're gonna move in. You know, catch a rabbit, and I forget what the other thing is. So it is funny, and it's a good example of when you meet with something that's absurd. You can re- there's a actually a term for this reductio ad absurdum where you take a flawed idea and you follow it out to its absurd logical conclusion to demonstrate that it's absurd, and that's what these people were doing. They were saying, "Oh, you're you're saying that this really does belong to our people, our group. Well, here we are, and we're going to catch a rabbit and cook it because you know you're obviously inviting us to take over here," and she was having none of it. She did invite them in, though, as you say, Cyrus, which I thought that was kind of nice. But she's probably figuring out, how do I get rid of these people? And I'll bet you that sign came down moments after those people wound up leaving. <laughs> you can count on it. Yeah. 888-914-9149. How about Annie now in Phoenix? Good morning, Annie. Um, hi, it's Ann. Oh, I'm sorry. Hello? Well, welcome. It says Annie hi. on the screen. Sorry about that. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, You know, I work in a um, 600-bed hospital, and um, I just wanted to, I'm a risk manager, actually, and I wanted to speak about home home births, and we have in the Phoenix area some birthing centers that are run by midwives that people Mm -hmm. go and have their babies at these birthing centers, and um, I just want to warn um, these, um, I feel like there are a lot of younger, you know, 20s and 30-year-olds mm-hmm. that want to have their birth at home, that um, there are a lot of things that can happen that are not predictable by ultrasound and by prenatal care. And we have monthly, we have a couple of different um babies that come from these birthing centers that have crashed or moms that have crashed or are bleeding and um, tragic outcomes a lot of times, um, even though we're within 15 minutes of the birthing center. Oh, are you referring to in a hospital setting or a home center? Well, well, a home, a birthing in a center. Birth- it's they're in a birthing center or they're at home and then something happens and they and then they call an ambulance and they end up at our hospital okay. and I I see these monthly and um, what kind of things tragic. I don't doubt anything you're saying I believe everything you're saying but just to give some examples what would be some of these out of the ordinary unforeseen complications that would cause that to happen. Um, a um, a prolapse cord because that's a lot of times not predictable, okay. and um, it, and um, that can cause a um, hypoxia to the baby or the baby okay. not getting oxygen. Mm-hmm. Um, some issues with bleeding, um, an abrupted um, placenta. Now a lot of times 
those things are more likely in a um, patient that has had a C-section before and then they're trying to give a regular, have a regular birth. And they'll always recommend that those type of births be done in a hospital. But, um, but if you um, sometimes a, an abruption of a placenta can occur um, in a woman that hasn't had a C-section. And when it happens, there's a lot of bleeding and it's, it's an emergency. Yeah. So how would you, um, I don't know, how would you describe your stance on this issue? And I said that I would prefer, now all of our children are born and raised and grown up now, but if we were still having children, I would always opt for giving birth in a hospital setting, if possible, rather than a home birth. Now, I think I'm in the minority. I think most people would say, nah, 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 you're being overly cautious. Are you... Where do you fall in the spectrum of opinion on this issue, Anne? Um, I am with you, Patrick. I would definitely have my baby in the hospital because I've seen babies come to us at the hospital after they've attempted a home birth that's gone bad. Okay. And do you ever tragic. lose a baby who just can't make it in time? Um. There, there are there are times that happens. Sometimes they have um, they have had um, um, they haven't had the oxygen they need through the cord, and um, they just struggle in the NICU and then they die within a month. Okay. Um, have have seen that, um, but um, but yeah, I'm definitely with you. If, if anything can happen, I, I mean it. It's just um, I'm definitely with you on that. <laughs> Well, but that's thank all you, I Anne. wanted to say is I've seen I've seen it when things go bad and it mm-hmm. happens. Yeah, and it's so sad. And you know, obviously, everybody wants their baby to be healthy and and to live. So we all have the same goal in mind. Um, yeah, I guess I just my sense of being risk averse, and it seems more risky rather than less risky. But I realize that you and I are probably in the minority on this issue, Anne. But I do appreciate you taking a moment to share that with me. Thank you. Uh, I think quickly we can get to Ron in Milwaukee. Hello, Ron. Yeah. Hi, Patrick. Hi. I just wanted to say my daughter told me uh, that she uh, eats the placenta for uh, postpartum depression. Well, um, I don't know what to say. It just to me, she it just said, seems... Uh, she says the Hollywood actresses do this as you're not in Hollywood. <laughs> Well, Hollywood actresses do a lot of things um, that I wouldn't Where recommend. Where she gets this information? Are they getting this from the Internet now? Is everybody getting this from the Internet? I don't know. I mean, the Internet is certainly all pervasive. I will tell you this, Ron. I've gotten, just in the time that we've discussed this odd topic in the last half hour, probably 15 emails from women saying, yep, I, we encapsulate the placenta. I've eaten the placenta. It's a good thing to do that. So this is apparently not as an arcane topic as I thought it was. And lots of reaction from women who are giving it a thumbs up and saying that it's a good thing. So who am I to disagree with them? They're the moms. It just seems odd to me, but what do I know? I'll be right back with hour three right after this. I don't want to hear this. Now. 